Yo. Hey guys. Scripties. Episode 3. This week we're going to talk about Cinemalaya 2020, the art of the short. It's going to be an in-depth discussion for this special occasion. I took a bath and put some pants, yo. Let's go. Thanks to GarageBand for that awesome loop. <laughs> so hey guys, I'm Rafi, and I'm a cinema enthusiast based in the Philippines. Hashtag cineast. Today I'm going to talk about the 10 short films in the Cinemalaya 2020 main competition. So for international viewers, Cinemalaya is a Filipino independent film festival. It was founded in 2005 with the goal of promoting... Surprise, independent film. The word Cinemalaya itself translates as free cinema. So now that the main competition is over, it's time to do an instant retrospective right here, right now, while it's fresh. Uh, We're going to figure out what lessons we can squeeze from these uh, works of art um, and try to learn from them as aspiring filmmakers and lovers of cinema. Hashtag cineast. So what's interesting is that I have seen at least five different Facebook friends who have five different bets for for uh, for the best film. So I think it's uh, cool because short films are so short that you can only put so much into it. Meaning compared to a longer film, it's going to be more intimate. In other words, you can either relate to it or not. So I'm curious to hear what you think of it as well. Please do leave comments. Um, And let me know what your favorite short was and why. So let us begin. The first film is Ang Gasgas na Plaka ni Lolo Bert by Janina Gacosta and Cheska Marfori. So the story follows Lolo Bert. He receives a broken vinyl record. He he goes to a record store. The manager fixes it. And uh, Lolo Lola Bert, once he plays that fixed record, he imagines himself in a dream dancing with a record store manager. And it's a lovely scene. And in the end, he scratches this record that was just repaired just so he has a reason to go back to the record store and meet the manager again. And their hands touch and they look in each other's eyes and you can see that that love in their eyes is there. And that is awesome. So... Um, well, you know the story. Uh, try to catch it. The festival is over, but try to catch it somewhere. It's a great film. Uh, my only main comments, and uh, keep in mind, these are very, 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 very uh, personal comments and opinions. I definitely might be wrong. You might have other opinions, which is great. Let me know about them. But this is how, uh, this is what I see, see in it. So here we go. So first, the HIV message. There was an HIV message at the beginning that, and I feel that it has to be removed because it doesn't have anything to do with the story. Um, The HIV message was something about the stigma of having HIV. So I'm thinking, HIV, does, does it, 
the characters are, are gay, so that's why they have HIV. It introduces a lot of awkward angles to the story that it that did not need to be there. For me, the film was not about HIV. It was about music and love and, and loneliness and, and things like that. So I feel that this message or this film can have that message removed. It would be still uh, as powerful. And um, if the filmmakers uh, in the future, they really wanted to do an HIV film, it should be a different story that should be crafted to relay that message because it's not doing the HIV stigma message any justice because if that's what they wanted to express, uh, I did not see it. So that's my comment there. Next, uh, the backstory and, and dialogue. So there was one scene very early on where the record, uh, where Lollabird tries to approach a series of albums behind the behind the record manager while the record manager is repairing the record. So he's he's fixing the record. Lollabird goes to these albums that are marked not for sale, and here's what uh, the record manager says. He says, "Hey, don't touch that. Those are not for sale. Actually, you didn't ask, but those are my dead wife's records." Uh, you didn't ask again, but she's been dead for 10 years. So it's kind of awkward to mention the dead wife. Uh, I feel that this line does not kind of matter. And anyway, later in the film, they talk about the spirit of the record. And that's where he can talk about that more. But very early on, the first time you meet someone, if if I tried to have my PC repaired at a PC shop, the guy starts talking about his dead wife. I am not coming back to that PC store to be honest, that's too personal and weird. So things like that, uh, weird transitions. And then let's jump to the midway of the film, another piece of dialogue and backstory. Um, once the record manager says something about the spirit of the record, that spirit sometimes reside in vinyl records and you're hearing their uh, their soul, uh, something like that. Um, and then the Lola Bert in, in Tagalog, of course, but in the subs he says, if I were, um, um, I was a teacher, I know what's real or not. So he's downplaying the superstition. He's, he's in a way, he's attacking the record manager's statement, not believing in it. But the line itself is so weird. If I was, uh, he says, I was a teacher, I know what's real or not. I felt that if, uh, if like I were a teacher myself, I wouldn't really say that. I would say something like, I believe in facts, not fiction. And I wouldn't say that I was a teacher because that's personal information and at this point, I'm not that close to the record manager uh, just yet. I wouldn't really reveal my profession or any personal details. I don't know. It's just me, but I would not mention that I was a teacher. I would just say I would believe in facts, not fiction. And now the next line, the response to that of the record manager is, ah, siguro music at tinuturo niyo, no? Or, um, oh, maybe music is what you teach. So that's, again, that's a bit awkward like uh, unless the record store manager has been established to be a um, magician or a psychic or has some spiritual connection and he knows things about Lollabert that Lollabert does not want to acknowledge himself that that's great but I don't think he's a psychic he's just a record manager right after saying you're a teacher you're not supposed to respond ah oh, you're a music teacher most likely because you like music um, not necessarily maybe if um, maybe if they added dialogue that would fix the issue maybe Lollabert talks about Kundiman he maybe he talks about uh, music you know OPM this is a perfect film to, to mention to drop some facts about OPM music or Kundiman music um, and art musical traditions as Filipinas um, and maybe that's when the record manager says ah you're probably you were probably a music teacher because you know so much, or a per music professor, something like that. Anyway, um, 
anyway, uh, Aaron Sorkin, writer of series like The Newsroom and The West Wing and films like The Social Network, he says something great about backstory. He says, if your story doesn't have a scene where a child, where the character was a child, then don't write the scene where the character was a child. In other words, he's saying, if your backstory detail is not an actual scene in your film, don't write about it at all. Just let it play out. And I think that 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 um, that really applies to this in this scenario, uh, where and I understand because as as the writer uh, Janina Gokosta and Cesco Morfori, they wanted us to know these details. These are story details that are important for the writer, but maybe in the direct director and editing role, uh, they're gonna see that ah, maybe it's awkward. You know, um, it's awkward to just mention that your dead wife of ten years. I'll leave it at that. Backstory and dialogue for that. Another note I have for this film is the color. Sepia color schemes feel tired. If this was set in the 80s, it was actually a very colorful time. Um, I have a suggestion that's very cliche. If I were to re-attack this film, re-approach it, it would go from a desaturated color scheme to more saturated as we go along. The record store could be a great place to introduce those new colors. Basically, um, 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 um. Lola Bird's home is very bland, very old school Spanish style home that they found. A great location actually, and good production design. Um, uh, and then if uh, if uh, you know every time he visits the record store, maybe it becomes more colorful, and new color pops out. That's something that could happen. Uh, finally, the music. Now this is a very uh, very good music. Shout out to the lyricist. Uh, in the credits, uh, it says Chuska Morfori is the lyricist. Um, Jose Mojica is the composer and the condiment singer is Lionel Guico. So the soundtrack is lovely. Overall, a very lovely film and it's a great, it's a great beautiful scene um, near the end where they, they, they dance in, in, in this dream. Um, and what else is there to say about this film? Hmm. Yeah, for, for the main lesson, I think, is if you're going to add story or if you're going to add a message to the audience, the story has to somehow reflect that. You know, if you're going to plant something, make sure it pays off. That's it. Let's move on to the next film, which is Pabasa con Pashon by Hubert Tibi. Now, honestly, I have no comments on this film because for me, it's a flawless short film. Um, there's a French theory called auteur theory, and it just reinforces that idea because at the end of Pabasa con Pashon, it says everything is done by Hubert Tibi. Uh, um you know, he, he, if he would do the acting and the score in, in this film, uh, this film would be entirely just be him. You know, it is beautiful. It's very masterful. I think this film, Pabasa Kon Pashon, it's basically the story of a family who make their living through religion. It's composed of two men and one woman, <laughs> one mother and two brothers. One brother is a radio personality host. Uh, at a religious broadcast station. The other brother is an actor. He plays King Herod in a religious play. And the mother uh, reads the Pashon. Uh, so in the Philippines, for international listeners, we have, we have this concept of the more prayers you do at someone's wake or funeral, they'll, that'll lead their soul one step closer to, to heaven. So Pabasa Kon Pashon translates as, please read the Pashon. <laughs> or please read that part of the Bible, which is a prayer. Please read the prayer, and that sends our souls to heaven. So, 
Um, it's very, it's a dark comedy, and I'd love to see a full-length feature from this guy, Mr. Hubert TV. So the cinematography is awesome. I think we can learn a lot from that. My favorite shot is um, while one of the sons, King Herod, is is uh, being King Herod, he's playing King Herod on the stage. Um, it cuts to his his mother watching him, and it's beautiful because the mother is in the midground in focus, while the the background and the foreground is out of focus. So it really just um, this kind of shot is better felt and watched than overanalyzed. But I think you get the idea. We're focusing on the mom surrounded by these blurry religious people. I think we get the idea. Um, next is editing. So there's a lot of... Uh, there are uh, the breaks in the film because we have three characters, right? So whenever we cut from one character to another, there are these visual and oral breaks, which are not oral, like O-R-A-L, but oral, like... A-U-R-A-L. So, <laughs> oral breaks where it cuts to these statues of saints and they look very sad. And it seems to be suggesting, what are you doing with our religion? You've bastardized it. That's kind of the message. And there's music, classical composition by classical musician Panini, the long-dead Panini. Um, so, it's it's just really great. Uh, the editing is perfect. It's it's cinematography is perfect. Everything is perfect. Flawless film. So that's why I'd like to move on because there's really no. Um, <laughs> just watch it and you'll learn a lot. Basically, that's it. Next next is fatigued by John Robert Maya. Now, props to this originality. You know he really experimented with the form. It's creepy. There's white text on the screen while this film is playing that gives us commands on, on what to do. So basically the idea is like it's an interactive short film and it plays out like a video game. If you're familiar with Counter-Strike, you, you'll kind of know what I mean. You're in the first person. We are the character and it does creepy things. My favorite example is the audience has to chant Musa, Musa, Musa. We have to chant that until we see the dog. So here's how John Robert Maya plays with the audience. First two, uh, it's like a life on loop type situation or what's that film that loops? Um, Groundhog Day, that's it. So the character wakes up, he goes downstairs, he sees his dog. The character wakes up, he goes downstairs, he sees his dog. The third time, there's this white text on screen that says, hey audience, you have to chant Musa, Musa, Musa until you see the dog. And then there's like five minutes where, not only five minutes, but uh, a long time where we do not see the dog. So I can imagine if we were not in quarantine, if we were in a theater, all of us, like 200 people, would be chanting Musa, Musa, Musa for like three minutes. And that is amazing. <laughs> That's creepy. That's lovely. It's beautiful. I love it. The only thing um, I'd like to change maybe if, if I were to helm uh, or go behind the scenes or whatever... Um, uh, behind the camera I would remove the jump scare at the end because personally the film ends with the message spoiler it ends with the message you've awakened but you're dead because again we're this video game character playing a game and the filmmaker is kind of toying with us one of our earlier objectives was to find happy memories but then it jump cuts it does a jump scare to this creature that while we're looking for happy memories and on the screen what we see are like photos or polaroids of memories while we're looking for happy memories, we get killed by this creature. And then it says, you've awakened, but you're dead. Um, for me, maybe uh, if I were to handle it is, uh, uh, well, if the idea is like a loop, right? Uh, I would go back to the apartment where you go downstairs and, and see the dog. Because that kind of suggests you're already in hell. You know, you're already 
you're already dead, you're in hell, you're, you're just repeating this torture. And uh, the imagery of the film is like, it's as if you're a yuppie commuting to work, back to work, waking up early in the morning to make breakfast. Those are the kinds of images that I uh, picked up from there. And I totally relate as a, as a commuter for, for, for a decade. So, so that, uh, anyway, great film. I have nothing to add or remove, but basically just th- that jump scare at the end, I feel it could work even without that. But either way, it's a great experience, and I wish I could see it on the big screen with Furren. So, yeah, there we go. Next, we have film number four, because I watched it in sequence. This is Toquifi by Carla Pulido Campo. It won Best Film, so that is amazing. So, I actually, I'm not going to mention too much of the details of the story but the idea is a star falls down uh, like a meteor it crashes on earth and Igorot or, or a northern Filipino indigenous tribe uh, person you know isolated from the city completely provincial and tribal he, he sees the, he goes to the crash site of this meteor star and he sees a TV set and inside the TV set there is an actress so that's great that's nice so the story is great and then he rescues the actress he, he takes it away from the crash site because it's still burning um and then he you know he develops a sort of relationship with her and then at the end of the film he takes this tv set he carries it up on a hill and then the subtitles um it says i want to show you my village and then he shows her this beautiful landscape of you know rice terraces and where the igorots live and the end it shows the title then after the title it shows the main character, Limayug, but now he's older. He's no longer the teenager he was before. He's older, and then we see the TV. Now it looks older, and the actress is no longer there. The actress trapped in the TV is no longer there. And then uh, at this very ending scene, he, he takes this TV to near a fireplace to warm it, which is a throwback to the scene when he was developing that relationship with her. And he puts a red shawl over the TV as if to warm her, to comfort her, and the film ends, uh, ends there. And this final scene, another thing I have to mention, there's this grandson or son character who is speaking in straight English and he's saying stuff like, um, we should let go of our traditions. This is old. We should throw this away. It smells. So he's basically anti-Igorot culture. So the, the commentary is very direct, so I actually, which I like. So it's, 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 it's actually a good scene. My only comment is the dialogue between the Igorot Limayog is a younger man and Laura Bianca for the actress. There's so many things that could be funny and heartwarming and heartbreaking and they could have built some tor- sort of a warmer connection um, because the actress, she's inside the TV and then she sort of glitches every now and then. She turns into an ad, into a commercial. So it does seem like she's trapped in this uh, TV. And I wish she said something like, uh, sh- maybe she's self-reflective. Maybe she says something like, I wish I were, uh, you know, or how did I ever get myself in this place? How come I got stuck here? That could be a commentary in the film industry and being in the city of decadence. Stuff like that, that the Igorot, he was innocent and you know tribal and he had these values. It could have had more contrast in the, in the dialogue there, but it, it was not there. So, But otherwise, you know, great film, great story. Very original, very lovely cinematography and and music. So that's that's it's amazing. Best film, Toquifi by Carla Polita Ocampo. All right, fifth film. Now I have very little to say about this, but because most of it is good, so right, so that's a good thing. King Lalam Ning Aldo or Under the Sun by director Reden Fajardo. So for Reden Fajardo, his deal is it's um 
it's a story about uh, it's an OFW story or an overseas Filipino worker story. It's about this mother, uh, Budang, um, who is expecting her son to come home, um, and then so uh, and this is like like a su- surprise to them. So they have to prepare this feast and cook his favorite tenola or a native Filipino chicken dish. And my favorite scene in this film, uh, two of them actually. One is they're asking the vendors in the wet market if anyone has native chicken. None of them have any native chicken. But one of the vendors very funnily says, yeah, I have it, but you'll have to catch it. So it cuts to <laughs> them <laughs> um, chasing a chicken around and holding it. So that's really, really funny. It's a great scene. It jumps. Um, the, other, my favorite, the other favorite scene is the climax where Plika, the partner, I'm not sure if it's just, she's just a friend or a romantic partner of Budang, like the mother character, uh, Plika, herself like a feminine, uh, transgendered woman, um, she, she encourages uh, Budang, the mother, because she feels useless. She feels like she has no accomplishments. And then she mentions, hey, you were able to send your, your son to school. You're, he, he's now in the States or in Canada. He's doing well. You have accomplishments. And then they have this really funny dialogue, good dialogue, about... Um, I'm going to build a swimming pool here so he'll stay home or he'll come home more. Or I'll build a funeral home so when he dies, he can get buried immediately. So <laughs> really good, funny dialogue. Now at the end of the film, yeah, he comes home and they prepare food for him with the help of the village. So very heartwarming. The oh, my, my, main, my main comments here are just technical, just technical. First, cinematography, uh, some... Uh, times it felt like it's videography because you have these panning shots these sweeping shots these uh nice shots of picking some pagita flowers at the beginning of the film but they didn't feel particularly story motivated it felt uh felt it felt like outtakes you know b-roll it didn't feel like storytelling cinematography so it felt like videography um especially at the beginning of the film um, because uh, at the beginning of the film, it cuts between picking Sampagita flowers and cooking. And uh, the, the picking the Sampagita flowers scenes are uh, dawn or like, yeah, dawn time. Dawn time are happening at the crack of dawn. While the cooking scenes are like obviously in, in the morning. So it, it jumps from this blue, you know, this dawn, golden haze, bluish morning scheme to full yellow. So it's kind of distracting. And. And that's the thing. If it were if it were done just because it looks pretty, it, it's not um, it's not cinematic. In other words, so that that opening sequence and some shots within the film itself that are tracking and sweeping and drone like, yeah, you know, just you can just do a close up. Um, might have a better effect. And th- that's the other thing. Editing has to be story motivated. It uh, plica in. And in the first third of the film has this phone call where she finds out about the son coming home. Uh, it cuts from her having this phone call from a wide shot. And then it cuts to an even wider shot. So I'm not sure. Maybe there were technical issues. There were missing shots. But that part also was very um, distracting. Did they just love the composition of the the rule of thirds? Or did maybe, because tec- I wasn't on set, you know, you never know. Maybe there really were missing shots. But yeah, that part really um, jumped out at me. But again, otherwise, I love this film. Heartwarming moments, happy moments. So that's amazing. And here's the interesting thing. You have a very light film. I'm in a good mood. Here's the next film, Ang Pagpakalma sa Unos by Joanna Vasquez Arrow. Now, this film, uh, 
so I was laughing previously. Now I'm crying. So <laughs> now I am crying because ah, so many heartbreaking. The story is about 2013's Typhoon Yolanda and its effect on people. It's shot. It's uh, we see it as a sort of document documentary narrative or a docu narrative style where we see found footage. Um, we see fo- real life footage of photos and children's drawings and video footage of the storm and news footage, newsreel footage, and we have a voiceover. And the story is the story is of a relief operations volunteer who helps out in, in that NGO. Um, and then she hears the stories of people who have experienced the trauma of going through and surviving Yolanda. So it's heartbreaking, so many powerful and painful stories here. I have to mention the editing and sound design is 500% over 100%. It's so amazing. If you want a masterclass in editing and sound design, listen to this film and watch this film very closely. There are visual breaks and there are oral breaks. And I've been in massive storms as well. On Doi, um, I was there. I was hearing it. And they reconstructed the sound of the storm perfectly. And it's very haunting. Haunting film, beautiful film, beautiful, well-written, flawless in every way. I don't have any comments. I just ha- have to shout out. The editing was by Lawrence Ang and Spouch Sancho Delizai. Delizai. Uh, the sound design was by Akritchalurm Kalayanimeter. So it's probably Thai or something. I don't know. Or Indonesian. Mm, but she's amazing. So Akritchalurm Kalayanimeter. I am shaking your hand. You've done an amazing job sound design-wise. Okay, enough praise. It's all praise for Ang Pagpalakalma Sa Unas. Where I cried exactly before I move on to the next film, there was this part where they were showing drawings of children. And there was this one drawing of a mother falling off a roof. And the rest of the family was still on the roof. And it was crayola by some poor kid. And then there's this scene of, of a graveyard um, with, with five names for one cross because they never found the bodies. And there's these factoids about Janet Napoles and her daughter. If you remember her daughter's long legs. Uh, unfortunately, that's what I remember. Uh, her long legs in this limo with all these Louis Vuitton, you know, all the all these fancy shit inside the car. She's stolen fronts from Yolanda. So let's not forget about that shit that happened. Very bad. And then we have uh, Noi Noi Aquino. We have newsreel footage of him downplaying the deaths. There are like 2,000 deaths, he says. But this film says in one graveyard alone, there were 3,000 unknown uh, bodies buried there. And the unknown bodies were not part of the official count. So the estimates are probably 10,000 or more deaths in reality. So they even found relief goods that were buried underground that were never distributed. And a lot of people probably died of hunger after this event Um so, wow. Uh, the questions it raises, especially now, 2020, we're in a pandemic. Uh, let's not forget to oust Duterte after all of this. Um, so, you know, there is, uh, the rest of Asia, the cases are going down. They're doing their thing to handle it. We are not, uh, seven years later, we are still not disaster prepared, whether it's a, an earthquake, a typhoon, or a virus. And for sure, there's going to be more viruses in the future that will devastate us even further. COVID is being kind right now, but you know we're gonna strip the Amazon, strip our forests in Visayas, uh, in Mindanao, make more 
Build, build, build. Anyway, I'm being political, but you get my point. We are not ready for this. We will never be ready. We need better leadership. Hashtag junk terror bill. All of that stuff is fucked up, my friends. Now, let's move on to the next film, Living Things by Martika Ramirez Escobar. We gotta, I got to mention the direction here. This is director with a strong vision. There's very intelligent cinematography, direction, sound design, editing. Everything is so smart, and I have nothing to say. With Pabasa Con Pasyon and Ang Pagpakalama Sa Umos, uh, Alamos, Sa Unos, these three films are masterpieces so okay i have to say something it reminds me of the magic of spike jones you know being john malkovich adaptation where the wild things are spike jones he also did this short film where um the guy's girlfriend turns into a chair things like that and uh you know it's this it reminds me of this concept of uh, from theater by bertolt brecht bertolt brecht I keep thinking of Bertolt from Attack on Frickin' Titan. But, you know, it's Bertolt Brecht, theater practitioner and artist. He had these, this idea of breaking the fourth wall. And I'm sure you've heard of this breaking the fourth wall thing because this is what Deadpool does. He talks to the audience. He breaks the fourth wall, which is the screen, and he talks, he addresses the audience. So the idea is to point out and remind the audience that they are watching a film, they're watching something artificial. So the point originally is to disturb the audience, such as uh, like in Lars von Trier's Dogville, where the set is obviously a set, but the story and dialogue still elicits real emotions. So it's questioning the artificiality of, of fiction. You know, this, these things are obviously fake. In Living Things, in Mardika Escobar's Living Things, the characters literally become cardboard. But why do we still feel something? Why does the dialogue still elicit real emotion inside of me? And it actually did remind me of things in my past. So it's very, a very powerful film. And it won Best Director, obviously, because of the strong direction. It's, it's, it's one of those flawless films. Okay, enough praise. <laughs> Shout out to the score. Very lovely. Music was by... Ali Yana Cabral in the credits. Alrighty, let us move on to the eighth film, which is Utwas by Richard Salvadico and Arlie Sweet Sumagaisai. So for Utwas, it's about this father and son who are fisher people, is a fisherman and his son, and he's trying to teach him to fish the noble way, you know, using a spear, using a net. Um, and their main conflict is that there are dynamite fissures around them. We never see them, but we do hear them. We hear explosions while they're diving. And this is when the father panics. He pulls his son out of the, the water during a diving tutorial scene and warns him about these dynamite fissures. So, okay, we're going to jump into the tacticals. Now, the story itself, I actually do have a problem with because here's the ending. The father, since they can't fish for food, they're, they're getting hungry. He has to join his uncle to hunt for crabs instead because all the fish are being killed by these dynamite fishermen. So he says to his son, you have to study diving on your own. So they have this thing where uh, he ties a weight to his son and he drops the weight because the child is too light to do deep diving. So he needs a weight so he can drop down to, sea, sea, to the seafloor and that's so he can untie that and then swim back up. So that's their main diving tutorial exercise. Now, the ending of the story is 
Since the father is out with his uncle fishing for crabs, the child has to do this diving tutorial on his own. He, he does okay the first day. The second day, the father is actually there and he's counting up. He's counting the seconds. One, two, three. And then he reaches 40-something and he realizes something is wrong. We cut to the child and he's, the child is having trouble untying the knot of the weight that's keeping him sunken underwater. So he's going to drown. He's going to die. The father walks around his home. The count is going up 51, 55. And then he panics. He, he jumps into the water. He starts swimming. And then here's what happens next. It, we hear a, a dynamite exploding. It cuts to black. And then we see an After Effects title, Utwas. So, yeah. Um, I think we need some sympathy for our characters. They're poor. They're hungry. Uh... If if you look at Angasgas na plaka ni Lolo Bear, this has a little bit more subtlety that the wife is dead. You know, we don't see a mother figure. Um, we just see the son, and and you're gonna give them even more problems. You're gonna give him a dead kid because of these dynamite fishers. I understand that the main point of this film is about fishermen and dynamite fishing, but to kill your character, who is this sweet kid, who we get to follow and get to know, and we see the world through his innocent eyes. And then you kill him just for the sake of the point of dynamite fishing. I don't think that's fair to your characters. Um, so fine, let this be your film. But if I were if I were to helm it, to be, be behind the scenes and rewrite it somehow, I would let the car the father save the kid. Um, and then maybe there's this resolution scene where he gets mad at the dynamite fishermen. He confronts them. He I don't know something. Maybe he gets beat up. And then the son comforts him. And, you know, he, he, the father gets beat up for confronting these dynamite fishermen. The son confronts him and hugs him. And the father stands up proud. And he, he approaches these dynamite fishermen again. And now the dynamite fishermen are like, whoa, this guy is freaking serious. He does not back down. He's nonviolent. I don't know, something, something different, something different that doesn't have the child character just die because that's conflict death. Um... That is my main comment with the story of it was. The other thing are drone shots. I have something personal against drone shots, so don't take this the wrong way, drone cinematographers who listen to this. But drone shots are great if you're doing a beat shot. But, you know, in this film, there was this drone shot that just lasted for two seconds of clouds, of foggy clouds above the water, and then that's it. Just two seconds of that, it cuts to water. I think it's a pretty shot, but you got to take it out. Or use that drone shot. Use that drone shot and just use it. Use it for, let it tell a story. Let us feel the drone shot. Don't use it for two seconds uh, and then cut the water. It just, it, yeah. So yes, drone shots, use them sparingly, use them right. Um, one thing I love about it was there's this beautiful scene where the father tries to show something to his son, something very beautiful, which is at night there is certain fish who are florophosphorent or they have these algae that make them glow in the dark at night. And it's a beautiful scene. And this is the powerful shots in, 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 in it was. Finally, um, on a positive note, I love the deadpan delivery of the dialogue. I know these guys are not actors. 
um, like what anime characters always say in Japanese, it cannot be helped. It can't be helped. They're not actors. They can only read the lines. But I love how the dialogue is layered. It has subtext. And I love deadpan delivery. So this is something that I love. So th- it's, a, it's a good film, but the story for me... Don't kill kids. Don't make lives harder for your fictional characters. If you don't have to, don't do it just to make a point. Um, but again, I I like the film, but I can't say I love the story. Now, we're going to jump to our, our ninth film. Now, for, the, for this one, again, I will have very few things to say because I loved it. This is Excuse Me, Miss, Miss, Miss by Sonny Calvento. First of all, it has one of the greatest short films within a short film that I've ever seen. Trendicitas. We've got trendy pants and trendy shirts. <laughs> You've got it all. So where is the full-length version of Excuse Me, Miss, Miss, Miss? And when can I pay for a ticket? That's all I have to say about Excuse Me, Miss, Miss, Miss. I love the humor, the snappy dialogue, the snappy characters. I forgot to mention before, Solomon Cruz from Gasgas Na Plakani Lollabert, the record manager, if he's the best actor for me, because he did what he did with the dialogue, for this film, it has to be Angelina Canapi um, as the triplet manager, as the best actress, if they had these kinds of awards for, for Cinemalaya uh, short films. Uh, easy win for, for her. Snappy dialogue, snappy characters. I loved it all. It has a fast pace. It does not dwell on the jokes, which I love. It's modern comedy. Thank the Lord. Now, um, the only thing, because anyway, the story, how do I, okay, the story is a, I keep thinking of Babae at Beryl uh, by Ray Red because it has this, it has the character of an abused sales lady like a mall sales lady and she finds out that her overworking manager has uh, is part of of a of how do you say this is part of a triplet trio so there uh there are three of them that's why their manager is so hyper all the time he has all the energy to overmanage each one of them um, and that's why she can perform very well and i love this thematic line of dialogue that that they're saying so I'll just do this in English. So does this mean I have to do the impossible just to work for this company? And the the, the manager says, yes, you, you have to do the impossible just to make a living and live your life and stay sane. So it's it's biting, biting commentary that's well written about the state of labor these freaking days. We are machines. We are all overworked. We're getting fucked up mentally each day. And yeah. So at the end of the film, uh, everything is great. Okay, this film is great. And the idea is at the beginning of the film, she's through the CCTV cameras. The manager finds out that our main character, Vanjie, you know, it's a joke, Miss Vanjie. Vanjie is not working. She's avoiding customers. And it's obvious on the CCTV camera. Vanjie's defense is, that was the first week. What about my performance now? I am now a performer. Keep me, don't fire me. But the manager, no, you gotta get got. You gotta get fired. At the end of the film, as she walks to work on her last day of work, she reaches the manager's office and she sees like... Um, mannequins lined up dressed like her the implication is that instead of being fired she was promoted for her performance now this part this is my only comment on this film i do not understand the ending 
please leave a comment if you understood it and kindly explain it to me because it was a surreal narrative. Good story, very funny. And then the ending is like, we're going to do this artful thing that I I don't know. Maybe I'm dumb. You know what? If you're smarter, please do let me know what that could mean. Or, But yeah, I would, I would have liked... I, now, I don't know how to do it, but... I would have liked to have it have an have a natural ending, you know. That's it for me. Again, I loved it. I want a full length version. The end. Next are the slums by John Andre Kobe. This is our tenth and final film, and here are my comments. So I have mixed feelings about the slums because I understand it's trying to be the office, but here's the problematic thing about that. In the office, we have neutral camera crew and neutral observers. Um, and the story of this film, The Slums, is it's trying to be The Office, but instead of a paper company, we're focusing on a poor, quote-unquote, poor family and their struggles. And the story is that the filmmakers um, are immoral. They're fabricating situations where the poor family are tormented, and the questions they ask during the interview sections are offensive. Like, for example, if you're poor, why are you still fat? So things like that. Now, here's the thing. I understand what it's trying to go for. It's a parody of poverty porn. But I wanted it to be funnier. I wanted it to be smoother. Um, The elements, the story is already there. Um, The comedy is already there. The characters are already there. But I wanted it to be cut shorter on the jokes. Like, in excuse me, miss, 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 when the joke was done, it was done, they cut. Here, right after they ask, you know, for example... Uh, you're poor, but why are you fat? You know, kayo pero but ang tabamo. Why are you fat? And then it just dwells on the image of this fat person or character, because that's who she is. And then it does a close up, and then it pulls back. It's um, I get that the filmmaker characters, quote unquote, are trying to be offensive, and I get that it's supposed to be offensive. And there's a couple of other scenes where the other characters are exploited in the same way. They're attacked personally by the filmmakers and being they're being made to look more desperate and more evil than they really are. It gets old. And the problem with that is if you don't move on to the next point, you're left with that. You're left with that message. And, you know, basically it could have been smoother. I don't know how to fix it. But I don't know. There's something about it. Now, here's the good thing. At the very end, which I like, the, the family finally realizes that they're being exploited. They're just being messed around with by these filmmakers, quote-unquote. They kick them out. And when they kick them out, they steal the camera, and now they control the story. They control the narrative, and now they focus on them. Now, here's, I guess, um, now that I'm talking about it, I think one way to sort of do this is if you cut the film with... With that in mind, they get exploited in the first third of the film. Exploited, exploited, and exploited. Second half, or not half, but two-thirds of the film, they control their narrative. They control their narrative. They take over. They now tell their story, and that goes on. Then the ending is there are these realizations. I don't know. I don't know. It's a completely different film now because I would, I would have a different message now if it were about the slums and poverty porn. But for this, the exploitation happened too long. There were funny, genuinely funny parts. Like we find out that the main conflict of the family is caused by one of the family members. The little kid who destroys the TA. I love this little kid. If he could win Best Supporting Actor, he should. 
maybe more things happen. I wish that had a different tone that could add, that could develop this message that the filmmaker wanted to say about poverty porn. Not just one aspect, but different angles, more angles for this short film, and it would it would be better, I think. So anyway, uh, but overall, it's a good it's a good attempt, and uh, in the end, I liked it, but. Um, uh, yeah, could be better. Next, uh, we're gonna end this podcast by asking ourselves, like, what can we learn as aspiring filmmakers after seeing all of these short films? And I've read the reviews of my friends, and I've written a blog post earlier this week trying to condense my thoughts. What can we actually learn? And not the specifics, because we've just tackled all those details. Now we're gonna talk about the broader craft of, of filmmaking and, and cinema and whatever so three three main things that i've sort of listed first is we gotta know you gotta know your craft the most original directors this year were the ones who have studied the technicalities each decision and what to shoot or where to cut especially in pabasa kon pasyon ang pagpakalma sa unos and living things all of this was motivated by the story the goal is to flow from one scene to the next and know when to cut, know when to stop, and know when to introduce a visual or oral break to transition from one sequence of scenes to the next. And the only way to learn this is honestly to just watch short films or watch films to develop your taste. Watch all kinds of films. Another note when developing your style and watching films, uh, Martin Scorsese says, watch the old masters, but don't look at them to learn from them Look at them to see if it speaks to you. He's saying don't watch stuff just because I told you to or just because other people love the certain film, but watch stuff that will speak to you personally that you can relate to because we're all very different. If you hand this one script to a hundred different directors, you get a hundred different films. So number one, know your craft, develop your taste. Second, experiment. In a short film, you can do stuff you can get away with that you can't in a, in a full-length feature. Or, sorry, I messed that up. In a short film, you can do stuff that you cannot get away with in a full-length feature. For example, if the concept behind Living Things were stretched out, it would need more story backbone and the charm would, would not have the same effect. Same goes for fatigued. It's going to be too nerve-wracking and insane to sus- sustain that kind of suspense for that long for both the filmmaker and the audience for fatigued so play with the medium the short film is your is your chance another example is the power of this short film is that it delivers its punches in a short amount of time if it were a full-length feature it would have to convert into a documentary because you know the things have to be uh, a bit different spaced out in other words, it's perfect as it is because it's a short film for Ang Pagpagkalma as Saunas. So, do not be afraid of exploring and experimenting uh, with, uh, in the short, uh, using short films. Um, like uh, Ethan Hawke, Ethan Hawke, you know, from the Before Trilogy and so many other great films, had a TED Talk released recently, which I found on YouTube. He says, find what you love. The closer you get to something you love, the more it expands. He was talking about creativity in general. What he found was that the more he did something he loved, the more that he learned about it, the more it opened his mind to what it, what other forms it could take. So find what you love 
and the closer you get to something you love, the more it expands. That's that's really a beautiful quote. Tied into this third main idea, which is to grow. So in one of the Cinemalaya talkback sessions, the host asked Thop Nazareno, who directed directed <laughs> who directed the short films Eyeball, Lope, and Full Length Kiko Boxingero, uh, what his journey was when he was making Eyeball. And his response is something that stuck to me. He said, it's been years since he's done that. And since then, he's seen how much his aesthetics and his style has changed and how much he has developed. So that idea resonated with me. So Eyeball was years ago. The films you make at that time were you at that time. But it'll change as you keep growing. So again, grow. From that same talkback session, Michaela Red, who's done, uh, directed, uh, like, Recorder, Birdshot, <laughs> a lot. Neo Manila, Eerie, Block Z, Dead Kids. Basically, 8,000 films is what this guy made. He makes a video game analogy. He says, if you don't make short films, you don't get any experience and you don't level up. So that's a very nice way to think of short filmmaking. So get out there. Film your cat, add a voiceover, get filming. Congratulations, you haven't lost your mind after listening to me ramble for 48 minutes. Um, so, we're in a pandemic situation. I'd just like to warn you of this uh, uh, parasite called the Death Turtle. And, you know, we gotta exterminate this evil creature because it's messing up our lives. Um, now, <laughs> uh, comments, feedback, suggestions are welcome. Um, rate me on the podcast store platform thing. Uh, I hope you learned something. Oh, shit. That's the end. Um, bye. See you next time.